You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. So this series that we're starting off right now, this is week one, it's going to lead us right into Christmas. And the whole idea of the next couple of weeks is looking at the things that the birth of Jesus told us he is greater than. One of which is the chaos that is so prevalent in our world. Interesting that one of the key things attached to the coming of Jesus consistently, both in his arrival was part of the announcement as well as 700 years ago before he was born and the prophecy of his coming would be peace. That when he showed up, that this Messiah to come would be the one who would be the bringer of peace that all creation needed. And yet, you know, as well as I do, we live in a world that more often than not feels like it is laced with chaos than it is with peace. So part of what we're going to do this morning is sit a little bit in the tension of how do we experience the peace of God in the chaos of this world. And I think, I think this song is a good reflection of that. Between services, I had um, a man come up to me and put a book in my hands, sitting over there on the seats, written by his father who passed away last year. He was a uh, World War II veteran, and he told me a story, and then he opened up the book, and he showed me a page in the book that told that story of a time when his dad was in combat, in a foxhole, in the middle of war, near Christmas, And all of his troop in that foxhole began to sing that song. 
Silent Night. And how his dad tells the story that it just brought, even in the midst of bullets flying, it brought a peace to that entire foxhole. That's a song that's probably one of the most popular songs at Christmas time. Probably a song that over the next several weeks as we lead into Christmas, I anticipate will probably be sung hundreds, maybe thousands of times at countless churches all around the world. And it's not just for its nostalgic value, it is for its theme, its theme of peace. Matter of fact, I know you know the song, but here's the opening words, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round young virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. Two times in just the opening lines, that song uses the word peace, but it's laced throughout the whole song. Right? You think about the lyrics, silent, calm, child, infant, tender, mild, sleep, sleep. The whole song is about peace. That's why I think it's such a popular song. It's not just because it's a great Christmas song. It's not just because it's a great tune. Change the lyrics, and it's not such a great tune. Right? If the lyrics were more like, Violent night, horrible night, everyone's fighting, everyone's crying. Like nobody's requesting that on WNIC, not making the playlist, right? This is not happening. It's because something of the lyrics in that song speak to a place in our soul that believe there has to be better than this. And one of the things I love that uh, C.S. Lewis once said is that when we find ourselves in this world with a craving and a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the likely conclusion is we are made for another world. That's part of what is happening in that song, I think, that it's so popular and that we love it, that troops in the midst of battle would sing those lyrics is there's part of our soul that knows we are made for something more than the chaos of this world, something that this song seems to allude to. Do you know that even the Bible, over 300 times, the Bible speaks to and talks to the idea of peace. Jesus, when he would show up, would not only himself talk dozens of times about peace, but his coming would be prophesied to bring peace into the world. You have the apostles who wrote throughout the scriptures uh, on numerous occasions about the subject and the idea of peace. You have guys like the apostle Paul who wrote about peace so clear and specific as to say that in Jesus and Jesus alone, there's a kind of peace that only he offers that he says transcends understanding. It's a peace that if you don't have Jesus, you, you would look at you, or maybe even if you do, you look at people that have this kind of peace and go, it doesn't make any sense what you're going through that you feel any kind of peace right now. And Paul says that's possible. It's made possible even because of the bringer of peace that entered humanity 2,000 years ago. So here, here's what I wrestle with though. And I gotta believe many of you do as well. I believe all that to be true. And yet at the same time, our world and our experiences in it are far more often experiences of chaos than they are of peace. Or at least chaos and peace so intermixed that you don't know sometimes how to experience peace in the midst of all the chaos. And yet the promise is that the God of creation stepped into what he made and brought peace with him and brought that peace for all people, not just a select few, which that idea alone, when the angels showed up, if you've ever read the account in Luke 2, it says the angels showed up and said, we bring good news, it will be of great joy for all people. 
This would have been a complete paradigm shift for the Jews because they were under the impression that God and what he had to bring, peace included, was for them, was for select people. And so this was a, a radical moment of shifting a paradigm where these angels say, no, 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 this peace is for everybody. So I just wonder, do you feel it? Are you living it right now? Because it's ironic to me that especially this time of year, which is a celebration of the peace giver, is maybe even more chaotic than the rest of the year in how we celebrate it, how we go about it, and all the insanity of it. So I want to just sit for a few minutes in this idea of Jesus being the peace bringer and how is it that we can not just acknowledge that, but how do we experience it, particularly in the midst of so much chaos that goes on around us and, frankly, so many of us that are dealing with so much personal chaos as well. One of the things that we're going to do throughout this series as we lead into Christmas, though, uh, is we want to continue to hang on this idea that the good news, the great joy, it is for all people, not just some people. That's what the angels said. That'll be a part of the content, even as we move into the Christmas messages and the, the myriad of them over seven services that we'll do. And so kind of leaning towards that, one of the things that we want to do is acknowledge one of the ways that I think is a reflection of the diversity of the fact that God came for all people by having the part of the scriptures that we're going to look at from week to week actually read in a different language. Because I think language is one of those things that can both create potentially a barrier and at the same time, it can be a moment to realize and reflect on the fact that words heard in different languages may be foreign to us and they are natural to the ear of God because he is the one who is for all people. And so I'm gonna pray in just a minute. We're gonna take up our offering first and I'm gonna pray. And then literally as I say amen, uh, we're gonna have one of our very own here at the campus. Uh, her name is Dami that's gonna be on stage and she is going to read the Luke 2 passage in the account of Jesus' birth and arrival uh, in an African dialect that she will be familiar with. It is hers, and uh, we'll see if any of you recognize it as she reads, but it'll be a really great moment. So let me just take a second, and we're gonna take up our offering. Um, just thank you, as always, for your generosity. And here, here's what I'd say about this moment really quick. I know we talked about the year in giving, but I just wanna add this. If you're just still kind of towing the water, feeling us out as a church, or part of your journey hasn't involved giving yet, I, I think this could be a great time of year for you to, to begin to step in and see, like, hey, is this something I want to be a part of? All of us put our money where we value, and I would just invite you, if the kingdom movement is a value to you, if reaching people and loving them is a value to you, it, this is one place that for my family and I, it's at the top of the priority to be a part of helping that happen. So buckets are going to come down, then they're going to go back around, and you can set them on the floor and just appreciate what this does to accomplish all that we do throughout the year. So let me pray. Father, it is, uh, honestly, God, it's always, it's, it's interesting to me, and sometimes it's a little weird to have to go through two services, only where I've said some things, and I'm going to say them again, and I just want to acknowledge that out loud, God, because I want to ask that you would keep my mind less from trying to say what I've already said, remember how I said it the first time, and just truly and genuinely have an ear that listens for the Holy Spirit's voice right now for your spirit to speak. I don't want to say, and I don't want to do anything on the stage that isn't what you would have said or done. And so I pray that you would bring your scriptures alive. God, thank you so much that you chose to step into creation, that you chose to cut through the chaos of all of it into the chaos of it to bring peace to our lives and peace to humanity. God, would you just help us to understand that in a different way today than maybe we've ever understood before. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Kesari Augusto Jadiwakwe, Kea Koru Kogwe, Aye Sinuiwe. Eini, Ikosinuiwe kini, Tia Shenibati, Kireni, Fijer Bale, Syria. Bogba, Oini, Yossi, Lolati, Koru Kawan, Sinuiwe. Olukuluku, Si Luarare. Joseph Upelu, Si Goki Lati, Nazareti, Ni Galilee. Si Ludafidi, Ni Judea. Tia Ankwe, Ni Bethlehemu. Nitori irati dile Dafidi nishe. Lati loko rukore. Belu Maria. Ayari afosono. Ti o nyure ti yo. Ti tobi. Osi she ni ba ni. Ti wanwa ni be. Ojorekpe. Ti o nyobi. Osi bi akobire. Omokuri. Osi fi ojawe. Osi te sinu ibu jeron. Nitori. Aye kosifunwa. Inu ileru. Awon olusogbuto ti nbe ti won gbe ni ilu na won so agbo agutan won ni ni oru ni papa ti won gbe angel oluwa si so fun won ogo oluwa si royin won ka eru si ba won gidi angel na si we fun won pe ma beru shawo mu mu yin rere ayo nla fun yin wa ti yo se ti eniyan gbogbo Nitori ati bi olugbala fun yin li ninu ilu dafidi ti se kristi oluwa eyi ni yo ti se ami fun yin eyin yo ri omo owo ti a fi ojawe odubule ninu ibujeran opolopo ogun orun si darapo mo angeli na ni ojiji won yin olorun wi pe ogo ni fun olura loke orun ati ni aye alaafia inu rere si eniyan I love that there is no language and there is no tongue that is foreign to our God and to his ear. So chaos and peace. We've all had different times in our lives that have possessed one or the two of those in greater degrees. Uh, I think for me, there's different moments in my life I can think at that have had tremendous amounts of just insane chaos. Lots to do, lots to be, go, go, go. One of which I was thinking about this last week, just in preparing for this morning. 1995, I was uh, in college about midway through. I was uh, taking 18 credit hours. I was volunteering at the church I attended several nights a week with the high school group. I was uh, engaged to my wife at that point, pretty serious in our relationship. So very, a lot of time and commitment there. I was working full time at a restaurant as well, saving up. Uh, I was in the process of moving because since Nicole and I were about to get married, I needed to move to a more affordable place because I needed to save more money. So just tons going on at that point in my life, all of which added up to a very tired and exhausted version of myself, uh, which meant that uh, as I was driving to said interview at a restaurant, uh, I did not notice uh, the car next to me three lanes over that was driving very squirrely. So I don't know if you're familiar with the side of town, but over on I-94 near the Harper exit, there is a spot where the freeway on the edge of it kind of slopes very steeply down and then into a bit of a kind of a flat land. So I'm in the slow lane and I'm driving, I don't know, 70, 75, 
probably 80 or 85. And I'm going, and this guy three lanes over decides at the last minute he's going to do a three-lane change. So he, at the same speed, cuts all the way across and just clips the front of my car, enough that it sends me into a spin. And if, you, if you've heard me tell this story before, you may remember, so I'm spinning on 94 like this, like, oh, there's the headlights, no anymore, oh, hey, everybody. And so if you've been in those accidents, those kind of moments, you know, your heart's racing, adrenaline's pumping, you're white-knuckling the steering wheel, so I'm spinning, 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 finally I stop, and I'm facing traffic. But I'm stopped, and somehow I ended up right on the edge of the road. So I'm on the edge of the road, not thankfully in traffic or in any of the lanes. I'm sitting there, still white-knuckling, breathing heavy, like, and I just start to get, like, a little bit of calmness because I realize I'm on the side of the road, and all of a sudden I feel my car go, because I was way too far over on the side of the road. And that thing rolled over four times down this hill until it stopped right side up. I, can, I, I always figured and I thought, like when that happened, I thought that I got out of my car right away because I do remember like opening the door and getting out and being like, what in the heck? But the people that saw it happen, like they pulled over way up above and were watching, said that I sat there for like quite a long time. So maybe I passed out. I must have passed out a little bit. But I, before I did, I distinctly remember watching every single window explode. And at one point, I can remember being upside down and seeing all the grass and all the glass come flying in and all of my worldly possessions go flying out. Because I was in the process of moving, every single thing I owned, literally everything I owned, was in a box and was in that car, which ended up out on the highway and down in that valley. Everything was gone. Thankfully, my, my seat brackets ended up breaking, so my whole seat fell back into the back seat because the roof caved in to the point that it actually smashed my steering wheel down. So that would have been my neck. So I, I end up getting out of this. I come to, EMS gets there. They get me on the board. They do their thing. They strap me down. They tie me up. They send me into the hospital. That's where I learned the joy of a catheter for the next two days and uh, spent a couple days just under being monitored. But that is one of the clearest moments in my life where I can look at and go, holy smokes, every single thing in my life went from right side up to upside down. Like literally, physically, everything went upside down emotionally. It took me a minute before I wasn't a little nervous getting back in the car. Uh, financially, everything went upside down. There was a hospital bill I could not afford at that point. Everything went upside. Even relationally, my, uh, my wife's parents at the time are wondering who this now two-accident knucklehead is that's about to marry their daughter because there was already another accident that had happened before this one. So everything in that moment for me felt like it went from right side up to upside down. Moments that you've all had too. Moments where life might just be going along and then all of a sudden everything right side up goes upside down. We lived through that a year ago in Oxford where an entire community went from right side up to upside down, particularly the four families who lost children. Some of you, it's been a personal loss in your own life. Somebody that you said goodbye to this last year and it just flipped everything upside down. For some of you, it's been a job change, maybe one that you went through or that's pending and you see it coming. And you're like, I don't know what we're going to do now, but it's going to be an upside down moment. Maybe it's a moment where you got information at a doctor's appointment. It's your own health. Or maybe it's not something quite so traumatic. Maybe it's just the day-to-day, just the regularity of life that feels super chaotic sometimes and a little upside down. Like think about just the, the calendar and how much wars for our calendar 
the things that we're committed to at work or at church or social gatherings, your own personal health or the commitment with the kids and the next event and the next sporting thing. It's just warring and warring and warring for your calendar that can just feel so often like chaos or maybe it's even just, maybe just the insanity of Christmas itself. Like the thing that we have done with Christmas, we all agree we've turned it into a bit of chaos from the shopping and the parties and the commitments we've got to make and the commitments we've got to keep and the gatherings we've got to go to and the things we have to host and the host of things we have to make sure to be present at. Like all of it, even the decorating. You guys, I don't know if you ever listened to Jim Gaffigan, hilarious comedian, right? He says like the, the whole Christmas decorating is insane when you think about it. He's like, it's the only time of year where everything's backwards. He, we go outside and we take the outside trees and we put them inside and we take the inside lights and we put them outside. And he says, it's like the decorating habit of a drunk man. <laughs> like everything this time of year just goes a little cuckoo. But I think life in general is chaotic. I think this year, this time of year, it just kind of exaggerates itself. I don't know if you've ever thought about the fact, though, that the birth of Jesus and the entrance of God into humanity was a completely chaotic moment as well. Everything about that, in in where he came, when he came, who he came to, created absolute right-side-up, went-upside-down chaos. I want to read a couple of places in the Gospels that may not be unfamiliar to you, but I want to see some details that maybe we can easily overlook So if you have a Bible, Luke chapter 2 is where I want to start. Luke 2 verse 26 says this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel to Gabriel, to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, the descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So the angel went to her and said, greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So the four books in the Bible that that speak exclusively to the life of Jesus are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So, so that's a part of the entrance of Jesus in Luke. Matthew, who also tells the story of Jesus' arrival, brings in a little bit more of the detail of Joseph and the impact on Joseph, all of which I think helps create a better picture of the chaos that was ensuing. So Matthew chapter 1 says this. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So I think most of us are probably aware that Mary, given, given the cultural norm of the day to be pledged to be married, is probably somewhere around the age of 14. In this time, you would have been pledged to be married between sometimes as young as 10 up to 13, which means you would have been married usually sometime between 14 up to 16 is when you would have been married. We don't know how old Joseph was. There's all kinds of wild traditions that put him super old, some that put him maybe middle age. But if, we don't know. So if we we're just to assume what was culturally normal Joseph himself would have been somewhere between 16 and 19 by the time he got married, which means that potentially you're talking about two very young people. 
to very young teenage people. And everything about their life just got completely flipped upside down. Like, think about even the conversation that Mary had to have with Joseph. How in the world does that go? Because you're pledged to be married. You've got your five-year, your 15, your life-together plans. And then your fiancé comes to you one day and says, hey, Joe, you got a minute? Yeah. We got to talk about something. Okay. Well, you know how one day we, we really want to have kids and we want to have a family? Absolutely. That might happen sooner than you thought. Uh, we're having a baby, and it's a boy. I don't know what Joseph said. Like, uh, we are not having a baby because we haven't, you know. And they're like, what does she say? Oh, it's okay, it's okay. Don't worry. God did it. Like, like uh, awkward. Like, okay. Like, how does that conversation even go? Can you imagine in the moment everything is starting to flip upside down a little bit for this young couple and everything they had planned? And then internally, Joseph's going through all kinds of his own chaos. We know so because verse 19 said that he had made plans to divorce her privately. Now, because the Bible said Joseph was a good man, he wasn't going to kind of shame her publicly, which means that she would have completely been outed, maybe even killed because of this. And so instead of doing that, he's like, okay, I can't stay together, but, but I'm going to divorce you. We're just going to do it privately. But he's clear, I, we're, this isn't happening anymore. Because here's what he has to be thinking in his head. Everything is going to be wrong going forward. This is not at all what I saw happening. He's got to be wondering himself, like, what are my parents going to say? What are her parents going to say? What's the community going to say? How are they going to treat Mary? How are people going to treat this baby? How are they going to treat me? This is not a time like today. This is a time where when you have an unwed mother and when you still marry in, people are going to wonder, why would you take on a child that's not yours? He could have lost status. He could have lost his job. This is, this is not simply like you're going to get the side eye from somebody. Oh, there's Joseph and Mary. We know about their story. No, this is like he stands to lose everything. That not just relationally and emotionally are things going upside down for him. This means everything about his future could flip upside down. Which is why I think he begins to conclude through his own internal storm, I can't do this. I can't go through with this. And then, of course, he does. And they stay together. Joseph, as I'll read in a minute, is visited by an angel that confirms the story to be true. So they stay together. They go through the next several months. It gets to the end of the pregnancy, somewhere around the ninth month. We're all familiar that there is then the unexpected journey because of a census to a, a town that's not their own. The problem even with that is that we tend to think of it being far more peaceful than it was. As a matter of fact, for most of us, when we think of a nativity scene, maybe a couple of these images up here are probably more reflective of what we think of. Look at your screen. So pretty nice, pretty peaceful, like pretty serene, or maybe something a little bit more like this one. Like I would, I would, I'd book a night stay there right now, right? That's like, it's amazing. It's beautiful. Like I love this one too. Here's the third one I picked only because they included the beagle. Like somebody's like, the nativity must have had the dog I love. Hey, uh, Poindexter, the beagle wasn't even created yet. We made that dog. Didn't exist then. Like, doesn't even exist. But that's our idea. Like, just beautiful. And then just for fun, I found this one. This is an image of baby Jesus from one nativity. I really hope baby Jesus didn't look like that. Because <laughs> Mary would have been like, send him back. Can we get another Gabriel? Right? But everything about what we tend to picture in the nativity is wrong. It's beautiful. It's just 
it's just wrong. Matter of fact, it wouldn't have been a barn, most likely. You know, this isn't like a pristine, beautiful barn, like, hey, after we have the baby here, let's get married here. You know, everybody wants their wedding in a barn, right? No, it's not that kind of a barn. It probably would have been a cave, a dank, dirty, mildewy smelling, rotten cave. At best, it would have been an attachment to a house that was a lower level. You would have lived above, and the lower level is where all the animals that you owned would have lived and done their business. But it more than likely was some form of a, a dank, rotten cave. I mean, th- and think about even that condition, right? Every picture is this pristine, beautiful hay. No, not when there's live animals there. The only time hay is beautiful and nice and comfy to lay on is when there's not feces and urine all over it. And I guarantee there was on that. You've got animals having their own babies in this setting. You have got a disaster and a mess. Th- this last week, as a matter of fact, uh, Sam and I went out to uh, Matthias. If you don't know Matthias, he is not here today, but he's one of our worship leaders. He's the main guy that's usually here in the center of the stage. And uh, he, by day, is a pig farmer. So he's just recently moved to a different piece of property, and he got all of his pigs there. He's got, what, what do you have, Sam, like 30 pigs? So they're all inside this little gated area. I don't know if you've ever seen what pigs can do to a piece of land in day's time. I have never have. I was blown away. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is disgusting. Like, this is vile. They have literally destroyed this land. There's nothing about this that would make me want to go, let's have a baby in this environment. And then it's just crazy, too. Like, at one point, one of the pigs got out of the little, it's like a little wiry, electrified fence. One of the pigs got out, and I looked at Matthias, and I was like, is that, is that supposed to be out? He's like, oh, no. He's like, can you guys help me corral this thing back in? And so I'm like, uh, it's a 300-pound pig, dude. I don't know what to do. He's like, just kind of, like, tell it to go in. I'm like, go in. <laughs> like, it's not working. And so Sam, Sam steps back like 20 yards. He's like, I'm good guys. <laughs> and like totally pieces out of the whole situation. So Matthias and I and another buddy are trying to get this pig in and it would not go. It just wasn't having it. And so at one point Matthias bends down, grabs it by its hind legs, lifts up like this and starts dragging it. And that thing's violently doing this to Matthias. I'm like, dude, you just lost like eight pounds through the shaky thing. He drags the thing and it will not still go in. So at one point he's like, and just manhandles it into the pig. He's probably horrified that I'm telling you this story, but this was an obnoxious pig. It deserved it. And he just, I have never seen anybody manhandle anything like that, let alone a 300 pound pig. And he walked away and was just like, and Sam and I both were like, dude, you, you are probably the strongest, meanest, baddest person I have ever yet met, and I didn't even realize it. I will never fight with you. Then we got into the car, and we started driving away. <laughs> and remember this? We both looked at each other and went, nothing about that life do I ever want. <laughs> nothing about that life. There was nothing appealing about what we just witnessed. But that's this. That's the scene. I mean, I don't think Joseph was hauling any pigs necessarily around by its hind ends, but that's the chaos of the scene that is the place where Jesus was born. It's not the pristine barn that we're used to with the beautiful hay and the beautiful arrangement and the horses and the lambs that just sit there admiring the birth of Jesus. That's not what was happening at all. And yet we sing songs like silent night, holy night, all is calm. All is blah, blah, blah. Like, it's a beautiful song. Sing it. I love it. We're going to perform it even. But it wasn't accurate. 
And the problem with that is if we don't realize the inaccuracy of some of the things we have ascribed to the birth of Jesus, we will miss some of the message of Jesus in how he came and when he came. Because the truth is, he could have come at a very different time, in a different manner, in a different location. Like, he could, he could have been born on a beach in Hawaii. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if Christmas was all about Jesus in a lay? La, 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 la. Like, not in hay, right? Can you imagine if, like, that was a scenario, and, like, our Mecca to visit our Lord was, we all got to go to Hawaii. Like, bummer. Like, what, why not Hawaii? Why not a beach? Why not a more developed time in human history? with hospitals and doctors and nurses and more rooms and hotels? Why not a more peaceful time? Why, why the chaos of this moment where this town is overwhelmed? Because you realize that at this point in history, Bethlehem probably was only a population of three to 500 people, which means they did not have the infrastructure for the amount of people flooding in right now to re-register. Thus, then no room for them to stay. So like, what, what was going on in heaven? Was, was God the Father like, Holy Spirit, you had one job. It was to make sure the calendar was clear and nothing else competed with Jesus coming into creation. You had one job and now you have double booked us. Like, I just don't think that that's what happened. This is God, fully aware, fully wise, fully knowing, fully known. This is God looking into creation and he goes, then. And he picks one of the most chaotic moments times in history, and times in that moment of history to enter. Why? I think in part because something he was trying to teach us from the very manner in which and in when he arrived is that sometimes greater than taking the chaos out of our lives is that he enters the chaos with us. Is that he walks through chaos with us. You know, the very, the very name he was given is indication of the fact that he came to be with us, not just remove everything around us. Remember, he is called the prince of peace, not the prince of take away all the chaos. But go back to the book of Matthew again. Matthew chapter one, just after Joseph decides he's gonna call it quits on this marriage. Verse 20 says, after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place, but the Lord had said through the prophets that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. Like if there's ever any wonder, like, God, are you really with us? He's like, well, my name's Emmanuel, but are you really with us? It means I'm with you. It's like, yes. I mean, from the very way he named himself, his message to creation was, I am with you. Not a select few of you, not just some of you, not the good ones of you. As a matter of fact, that's one of the cautions we have to even make in the story. Because part of what this tells us in Matthew, that Joseph is a good man. It's part of the reason why he decided not to publicly out Mary. He's going to do it privately. It's also said of Mary that she was a good woman. She was a 14-year-old girl. 
So she was by God highly favored. So one of the dangers in the story is to assume sometimes that God is really only for the highly favored people. He really only comes closest to the best kind of people. The ones that are a little bit more religious, got their stuff together, less baggage in their history or in their present, less doubt, less struggle. Those are really the people God is for. And that couldn't be further from the truth. The message of Christmas is in part that God is for all people that there is a God over creation, that he is not distant from us. He is not far from us. He has not abandoned us. And nor does he play some kind of like cosmic, sick, spiritual Marco Polo game where we're all just left in this world to go, Marco, and hope he responds back from the very way he named himself to the fact that he incarnated into creation his messages. I wanna do life with all of you. I wanna be in your bad moments, I want to be in your beautiful ones. I want to be in your great moments, and I want to walk with you and be with you in the ones where your world feels like it flipped upside down. But then that leaves us sometimes, it has to, it does me, going, all right, if that's true, and I believe every bit of that is true, he is the bringer of peace, he came to be with us, then why in the world 2,000 years ago didn't he take the upside down humanity we live in and flip it right side up? Why didn't he fix everything so that there, there is none of the chaos in our lives, in our world, in our families? Like, why didn't he show up 2,000 years ago, take the entire planet, put it in the corner, then in a timeout, and send it to bed early without dinner, and fix everything the way it should be? That's got to be a question we have to wonder, especially at this time of year, which is so chaotic, and yet we're celebrating the one who is the antithesis of chaos. He is peace. There's a couple things I just want to give you. Two thoughts. Then I want you to hang on in a moment where you're like, at any time, this season, later in the year, if you're in it right now, like, why, God? Why this kind of chaos if you're the bringer of peace? Two things that help me reorient to center when I'm asking that same question and struggling with those same wonders. One of which, you got to go to Jesus again. But not baby Jesus, you got to go to adult Jesus. When at about 30 years old, he starts teaching, he starts doing miraculous things. In those things, he begins to display that he has power over creation. Like this is the God that looks at winds and waves and goes, not today. Wave, no. Wind, stop. And it does. Like he proves his power over creation, proves his power over humanity. He does healings that no one can do. Proves his power over the grave by bringing people back to life. Here's what's interesting. He didn't always do that. Sometimes he did. And sometimes he didn't. Even with his disciples, his closest friends and his closest followers, there were times that he literally sent them into a storm. I mean, you talk about chaos, like a literal physical storm that would threaten their lives. And there were times where he literally did the wind wave moment, like stop, no, done. And all of a sudden the storm went away and the disciples were like, whoo. And some of us have had that moment it's a moment where the job was or the relationship was or something was and we prayed and it was like the storm settled. But there were other times that instead of settling the storm for the disciples, he settled the fear inside of them. And I think here's the thought I want you to hang on to. Sometimes God will calm the chaos around you. And other times he will choose to calm the chaos inside of you. I don't know why he picks to do one or the other at times. But I do know when it's calming the chaos in you, even while the chaos around you rages, he does so by trying to teach us that we can fall back and trust in his gracious, strong, tender hand 
to hold us no matter what goes on around us. Well, my son, who 19 right now, when he was about eight, I took him to a place called Planet Rock for the first time. He was a part of a group, an outdoors group that was going to be going a year later, maybe two years later, uh, up into the UP to do some rock climbing. So this was the first time of them doing some indoor climbing to kind of learn technique, learn how to get up and down, all the belaying and the stuff. And so I, I went with him, and I'd done a little bit of climbing before this over the years, and so I knew what we were getting into. I was super excited. We come walking in the door, and if you've ever been to a Planet Rock, it's all just indoor climbing everywhere around, big factory building, super high walls all the way up. So we're inside, and he walks in the doors, and he stops just a few feet in, and he looks up. He's like, that's bigger than I thought. I go, well, how tall do you think it was going to be? He goes, like 10 feet? I'm like, no, it's bigger than that. And then he goes... Dad, I've never told you before, but I'm afraid of heights. I was like, well, how do you know you're afraid of heights? He goes, because I'm afraid of them. I was like, well, I can't argue with your logic, son. So it took him a little bit before he was comfortable. For a long time, he just watched other people go up and down. And, and at the top of every wall, when some kid would get there, there was either a bell that they'd ring or they just slapped the wall. And so I think just watching that, he's like, his competitive side, he's like, all right, I got to try this. I got to try this. So he's like, all right, Dad, will you belay me? So the whole system is you both have a belt on. The rope goes from his belt up the wall through a pulley back down to me to a mechanism where I'm going to belay him. So he starts getting up the wall, kind of slow go, doing a little bit of the dad thing where I'm like yanking to get him up a little higher. But he finally gets all the way up to the top. Problem is he gets up there and he froze. And he slapped the wall. He didn't ring anything. He just froze. So I'm like, you all right up there? He's like, nope. <laughs> you ready to come down? Nope. Like, you have to eventually come down. He's like, nope. So he just, he just like stayed up there. And there was a point, I don't know how long he'd been up there at this point, but there was one point where he just started shaking a little bit. And your muscles start to fatigue and I can see him. And I'm like, well, he's in, want to or not, he's going down at some point. So I'm like, hey, son, remember, we went over this. I'm like, let go and just sit back into your harness and I got you, I'll lower you down, all right? He's like, dad, I can't do it. I can't let go. And so he just kept holding on. And there was one point where he was, like, not just a little tremor. Like, his whole body's, like, shaking up there. His little eight-year-old body was just, his muscles were like, let go, dummy. You are done. You are done. And he just wasn't having it. And so finally, he, he kind of turns over his shoulder to look to me. He's like, Dad, if I let go, am I going to fall? And I just shouted back up, if you let go, you will fall. But then I shouted because the instructor was like, dude. <laughs> I was like, but I'm going to catch you. And so he's like, please catch me, Dad. And he let go. And if you've ever climbed, you know, it's like a, like a two-inch drop. You're like, Poom. You're like, oh, okay, that's all right. And then I lowered him all the way down. I come up to him like, oh, high five. I'm like, dude, that was awesome. Did you love it? He's like, not so much. I don't know if I want to do that again. And, and here's, what, here's, here's what I love about that. And this is why this story will always be so close to my heart. Till the day I die, it'll be one of my favorite stories of me and him. Because the only thing that got him down from that wall and you, I guarantee you, he was having a storm up there. Like there was some chaos. That wall was the enemy and he was feeling all kinds of chaos in this moment. The only thing that got him down was the confidence and the certainty that his dad was strong enough to not drop him, to hold him. The same is true for you. I would never pretend to understand some of the chaos that you've had to go through or you're in right now, but I do believe that your father's hands are tender, gracious, powerful, and they will hold you no matter what you go through. They will hold you. 
even if the storm rages around you. He may be trying to simply at the moment calm the storm within you by teaching you, I will hold you. I will hold you. That's the first thought. And here's the second. The greatest form of upside-down chaos in our world that I would contend creates every other form of chaos that God could deal with, he already did. The greatest form of chaos in this entire world is not any individual moment of difficulty that you and I go through. It is the reality that humanity from the first of us till the now of us, till every one of us in the future choose regularly to break relationship with God through disobedience, thinking we can do life better. Some of us do that in the midst of a relationship with him. Some of us, we have done it by altogether refusing him and saying no to God. But creation has been doing this since its beginning. We have chosen to say no to God through disobedience, small acts, large acts, or even just rejecting him altogether. And every time we do, it is the reason and the explanation for every other form of chaos in this world. Every form, from your neighbor's obnoxious barking dog, to car alarms, to break-ins, to murder, to death, to suffering, to abuse, to poverty, everything upside down in this world and broken and chaotic is the result of the sin that is the brokenness we experience when we disobey God. That he came to fix. Can you imagine my son on the top of that wall? Because this is what creation has done. If at one point he pulled out a pocket knife and says, Dad, I think I've got a way down. He puts it to the rope. And I go, bad idea, dude. I've done this more. I know how this should go, and I know how that's going to end. He's like, well, I, I mean, have you ever done it, though? Because I haven't seen I think this will work. I've thought it through. Pretty sure it's going to work. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's not going to work. What if he even at one point is like looking back, he's like, you know what, Dad? I don't even see you down there. Maybe you're not even really there. I got this, Dad. I'm going to do this. It's a, it's a dumb analogy. But he cuts that rope. He falls to the ground and at best breaks most of his bones, at worst loses life. Listen, humanity from Adam and Eve to present day has been in a habit of putting knife to rope and cutting it in relationship with God. And when it first happened in the garden, humanity spiraled down because we broke connection and we hit the ground to a lethal thud. What Jesus did when he came was he came to fix that more than anything else. It's why the prophecy was made to Matthew saying, listen, Matthew said this, he wrote it, the angel said to Joseph, when he comes, he will save his people from their sins. The greatest form of upside down chaos that God could ever fix, he already offered a solution to. And it was the death of his son on a cross and the resurrection to conquer death and the grave and invite us into that. And I think sometimes I have to be reminded in moments where this world is broken that it is for now. It will not be always. God's promise is that there is a day he's coming back. And there is a day he is going to fix everything upside down and make it right side up. And it will be the eternal existence for all time. There will be no more brokenness. There will be no more chaos. There will be no more things that are upside down. Sometimes I simply have to cling to the hope and the truth that part of what God gives me is for now and part of it is for not yet. But he did offer a fix to the brokenness of creation. One last really quick story. When I was in Kenya last year, we got to visit a couple of different churches 
And uh, one of which that we visited, interesting, was a church that a year prior, some of the local leadership of the Pocot Outreach Ministry had tried to move into that region because it was a region where the, the gospel hadn't been shared, Jesus hadn't been shared, but the village that they came to was so hostile that they literally beat the four men, two of them almost to death, like severely beat them, drove them outside the village. They had to sleep outside the village for several days. The, the mosquito situation there is ridiculous. Bees as well. When there's no water, every living thing, including insects, will attack you to suck water out of your eyes, to suck the water out of your skin. So sleeping out in the open with no cover, like they, one of the men had to be hospitalized after just because of all the stings and all the bites from mosquitoes. So this was, this was the village that they tried to come to. And they were persistent, they kept going back, and eventually they were welcomed in, they were able to share, and everything began to change as one man named Philip gave his life to Jesus. He was known as the town drunk, he was abusive to his wife and family, nobody appreciated this man, but he ended up giving his life to Jesus and experienced radical change. As he started to be discipled and grow, Philip then launched a church in that area. This is a picture of that church, I got to sit with them last year. This is literally their church. They're right now in the process of actually building a very simple structure there that will be their building to gather under. But this is their church, and we, we celebrated with them, and we did church with them for that day. We had a great day together, and at the end, we just asked, how can we pray for you? And they said, well, a couple ways. You could you pray for the health of our children because of the poor drinking conditions. Most of their kids were very sick or somewhat sick. They said, you can pray for education. There's no school in this area. It's a very remote location. It's like, we need a school. And then they said, could you pray for water? That we would have water. This is, this is a cup of water that I watched a mom give to her, her young son, maybe two or three years old. That, that was the cleanest they could get. Now, there's some places that can't even get that. It would just be an empty cup. There's literally no water. But this is what I watched her give her child. And I, I turned to one of the guys, at the Pocot ministry leaders, and I said, hey, are they, are they on the list to get a well anytime soon? And he said, unfortunately, no. He said, because of the fact that they at least have water, as vile as it is, he says, that puts them lower on the list because there's so many other places that don't even have that. They have nothing. People are dying of, of thirst. And so, so as they said, you know, how, you know, how can you pray for us? You know, one was water, and I said, well, I, I felt awful. I'm like, I don't want to just pray for water. I want to bring you water. I want to give you water. Because my, my cynical American side is like, don't tell me you're going to pray. Do it. Build it. Dig a hole. And so I said, at one point, I said, and we will pray that God gets you water. And you, you would have thought I said, I'm building a well right now. I mean, they erupted. They started applauding, started cheering. They came up and gave me a hug. They started kissing us. And so I, I was baffled. Because I'm telling you, for me, I'm like, wait a minute. That, that's, no, 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 no. That's not the way it works. I said, I'll pray for water, right? What, what happens if you need something and I'm like, hey, I'll pray for you? Like, let's just be honest. Most of the time in our context, cynicism, we're like, hey, how about you do it, not just pray about it? So that's my expectation. And I experienced the very opposite. And so I later was sharing that story with one of our leaders there. And I said, I don't, I, I don't know what to make of that because I, I, I thought I would experience anger, frustration, and cynicism. And I experienced such a deep gratitude and a joy that you would have thought I gave him water. And he said, that's because, now he said something to me that I still am trying to figure out how deeply this has impacted me. It shouldn't have been so radical to me, but he said, the reason that they're so joyful and they celebrated your commitment to pray is because what we need even more than water is salvation. And as I spent the week with this community, I saw a community of men and women that were being radically changed. Men that stopped beating their wives, stopped drinking, 
families that were coming together, ways they were serving one another, anger and hostility that became a part of their past as they welcomed new people. I saw that the salvation of Jesus Christ began to radically transform their heart and radically transform their families and radically transform their community. That is what the gospel of Jesus Christ does to right side up the brokenness of humanity. That's what he ultimately came to fix. So we're gonna sing one last song this morning called Peace. And I just want you to take a minute as Kaylee leads us through this to think about the place right now where you're clinging to the wall where maybe you're shaken and you don't know how to let go and rest back in his hands. And just ask him, give me the courage to trust your gracious, tender, powerful hand. Because sometimes he'll calm the chaos around you. Sometimes he'll calm the chaos inside you. But his ultimate promise is one day, he's gonna right side up everything. And all of the chaos will have its end. It's true.
You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.